Welcome to the CityDAO podcast. I'm your host, Eric Gilbert Williams. CityDAO is exploring decentralized asset ownership on chain, starting with a simple piece of land purchased in Wyoming during 2021. Each parcel of land becomes an NFT that can be owned collectively by the DAO or by individuals just like you and me. CityDAO is a DAO. In other words, it's a decentralized autonomous organization, meaning that land governance, treasury, and other things, including this show you're listening to right now, are all managed by the community. Check out the FAQ at citydao.io to learn more, or check out the CityDAO Discord channel to get all the latest updates. Now let's get started with the show. Welcome back, everyone, to the CityDAO podcast here with this 10th overall episode already of the show. And this one represents our fourth episode of the Citizens series. It's amazing we've already done 10 episodes. <laughs> it feels like forever and like a blink of an eye at the same time. It's really weird in the metaverse time scale. It changes everything. Now, this is because it's a citizen series is as it sounds. This is a chance where we get to know all about the CityDAO citizens. We get to know each other a little bit more, a little bit better, and go into the deeper details that sometimes are a little difficult to elaborate on the Discord server. If you're not a part of the Discord server, join it today, check out the channels. It's just ballooned from 7,000 people to 33,000. I didn't look at the server for a couple months and all of a sudden we got this, it just exploded. So it's really cool. And today on the show here, we have David, who is a CityDAO citizen, but not just that, he's also been elected into the CityDAO council. That means that he's involved in a lot of the interesting and intricate stuff going on and the big decisions going on right now inside CityDAO. So today we're going to talk about education and the concept of CityDAO University as a possibility and as a concept. We're going to talk about space, but not flying through space as astronauts. Space is a concept, space as it relates to human civilization and human interaction. We're going to talk a little bit about redefining what a city is with all this technological advancements that we have. And of course, we're going to learn a little bit more about David's fascinating story and background going through China and his vision for CityDAO moving forward. So Dave, thanks for joining the show. Great to have you here. How you doing? Very good. Thanks for having me, Meme Brains. It is good yeah. to be here. I love the podcast, so glad to be on it. Very honored. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. You know, it's the first time that someone... So on, on Discord, of course, we always have our pseudonames and our nicknames. And, and I doxed myself from day one. I never really put too much weight in the anonymity for me personally. But yeah, my, my name on Discord is Meme Brains. And <laughs> this is the first time... It's weird. I've almost like reverse doxing myself. I'm, I'm doxing myself in the real world to who I am online. That never really happened before. So I don't know. It's, I think it's interesting. Well, that's the concept of entities. But yeah, I've always known you as meme brains. Every time I've seen you post or heard people talk to you, that's always been it. And it's interesting to get used to knowing everybody's handle and not their name. But it makes no difference once you get past it. Absolutely. And when we get into the concept of what a city is, which is a subject we'll probably cover in a little bit, maybe halfway through the show here, it also covers, you know, what is an identity and what is a person and who are we interacting with? It really questions a lot of the fundamentals that were anchored. Maybe we should just dive right into that for a second. I don't want to get too far ahead and I want to cover your origin story and all this other stuff, but I'm just kind of itching to jump onto this right away. So there's a concept of network city that's floating around. It's come up on the show a couple of times. Lions has mentioned a few times. So has Scott. I think that they had chats with Vitalik about it. And it's really a growing subject that pops up more and more. And if we go historically and look at what a city is in the history of humanity, up until maybe 50 years ago, a city is defined by geographical boundaries. It's physically restrained and contained within a certain space. And that's a definition that's created and recognized through government borders, through maps. There's a physical line. On this side of the river is that. On the other side of the river is this. Now, with what we're seeing with Web3 and all this, even, you know, let's go backwards to the invention of internet. And even further back, even, we can look at the concept of 
a city in relation to another city as somewhat like a a node in a network. And the nodes are connected, let's say, initially by roads built in Rome, connecting city to city and place to place and township to township. And then trains come around and now cities are connected by trains. And then flight schedules are connected by flights. And then internet opens up lines of communication and radio waves and, and shipping routes. So the concept of a city is in relation to a node in a network brings forth this concept of a network city. And, and I have a lot to say there, but I don't want to stop for a second and hear about the concept of space and what your thoughts are about network cities. Well, I think one interesting thing that you just said reminds me of a quote. So I love the idea that I have a backstory. It makes me seem like a supervillain. But I have lived in China for a long time. And I studied Chinese philosophy for most of my life. And if what you're saying, this idea of Roman cities connected by roads, forming a network, that is, as I understand it, a fairly Western view. And I think one thing that's interesting that's going on in the metaverse in terms of what I've been researching is that a lot of what we think of as the metaverse is coming from a very Plato, Aristotelian, Western concept. And then the European concept, like Machiavelli's idea of what a city-state is, where there is a whole other world. So there's a quote that I have from Lao Tzu, who is the guy who started Taoism. He wrote the book, The Tao Te Ching, which is the classic of Taoism. And he says, and I quote, of course, translated, though adjoining states are within sight of one another, and the sound of dogs barking and cocks crowing in one state can be heard in another, yet the people of one state will grow old and die without having had any dealings with those of another. And that is considered by Lao Tzu to be a high state of evolution, that there's absolutely no need for this interconnectedness, this composability that we look for in the Western metaverse, where every project should be working with other projects and every city is a node. And if I have an object, an NFT that I purchased in Decentraland, I should be able to use it in Somnium space or CryptoVoxels because it's mine. Even in Decentraland, one of the first things that interested me is that there's a place called Dragon City, which is Chinatown. And I remember thinking, what in the world is Chinatown in the metaverse? It's not just that Chinese people own these plots of virtual land. And this gets into the idea of space, because what is that land? What is that space? And I remember, this is what got me going down this particular rabbit hole, was the idea of if Decentraland has a Chinatown, what makes that space Chinese? It's not like it's filled with Chinese restaurants or Chinese people. I mean, it's the metaverse. Everybody has avatars. For all I know, everybody's walking around with wings or looking like a pink elephant. It doesn't matter what you look like. And with translation, as the translation software gets better, there's really no sense of someone's ethnicity. But there is on a much deeper level, on a surface level, if you go into Chinatown, I'm from New York City, if you go to Chinatown, it looks like Chinatown on a surface level. Things are written in Chinese, there's Chinese people walking around, there's stores that are distinctly Chinese selling products that are distinctly Chinese. In the metaverse, it's unlikely you'd have that, but I still believe there is a Chinese-ness, just like there's an American-ness or an Italian-ness that can exist in space, even if it's virtual space. And I think that the idea of cities being connected is kind of a Western idea, and that maybe from a Chinese perspective, there's really nothing wrong with having cities that are totally disparate, and they really don't get involved with each other. Now, there's territorial disputes, obviously, in China today. 
I mean, the Chinese government, I think, would, would probably say that, yes, there is a difference between a physical barrier of land taking over Hong Kong and different things and the threats towards Taiwan and what that looks like. There's these physical barriers. But I don't think that's what you're speaking to. I think you're speaking to yeah, I'm only a, a speaking more to fundamental. philosophy. Right, yeah, right. I'm only speaking philosophically, not politically. Right, right. And similarly, we could talk about the United States being the land of the free and, and a free country and a representation of free. And maybe, you know, maybe that's still relatively true compared to communist regimes today, but certainly less true than maybe it was and definitely a long way from fully embodying what it claims to be. So there's definitely differences between the practices day to day from a political perspective than the foundational philosophical principles and guidelines that might be undermining it. Sure. I mean, look, I'm a lawyer here in America, so I definitely have a lot of respect for American law. And the things I love most, I love the Constitution. I love the Federalist Papers. I love the jurisprudence. I love the ideas from the beginning. And how things have developed in the last 300 years is interesting. And it's definitely up for debate. I'm not a political guy. Like, I've never been political. I like philosophical stuff. And I love talking about the metaverse and all of this stuff. But to me, I mean, I look, I lived in China for 15 years, so I do like China. There's a lot of things I could say about it that I've seen that are both positive and negative, things that would fly in the face of sort of American ideals. And yet, at the same point, I will say, not to get political, I lived in Shanghai most of the time I was there. I felt more safe in Shanghai than I ever did in America. And that is precisely because there are cameras everywhere. I live here now on the East Coast, and I don't feel that safe. I mean, in China, there were no school shootings because there are no guns. There's no anti-Semitism. There's a lot of the issues of class that affect America don't really exist as much in China. And surveillance is a real double-edged sword. It really cuts both ways. On the one hand, the American ideal is that we don't want surveillance of any kind I mean, there is surveillance. There's tremendous surveillance in America under the Patriot Act and with Siri and all of this stuff and GPS tracking. I mean, it's there. We don't talk about it. We talk about how we don't have surveillance, but it's definitely there. And in China, it's even more pronounced. I think it really came out in COVID where you could see in China, everybody's required on their phone to have a sort of QR code, which says if your phone has been near anybody else's phone, if they had COVID. So that backtesting or contact tracing idea, where in America, there's been a lot of objection to that kind of thing. But the proof is also kind of in the pudding in terms of how the countries have dealt with this and the economic effects it's had. Yeah, I agree. And when we look at some of the benefits that exist in a communist regime, the ability to lock down a city in an instant, day one, no rebellion, or if there is, it's dealt with harshly. Like There are some benefits that are in a communist regime in a way to deal with what could be perceived as a crisis or not. The question then becomes, is a person willing to give up their so-called freedom in order to allow this to take place? Because as you said, it is a double-edged sword. And is there actually freedom in America is kind of what you're touching on too, or is it an illusion? And these are all powerful subjects, because if a person is willing to give up their freedom in exchange for a style of governance that does include, let's say, like you said, cameras everywhere and no guns in schools, then maybe a person values that. And if they do, then great, go live there. But on the other side, if someone doesn't value or has a problem with the opposite effects of the type of surveillance and the scrutinization and the non-privacy and having everything exposed, well, then live somewhere else. And, and I think we're all trying to find a way that gives perhaps the best of both worlds or the balance or because to me personally, I'm, a, I'm an advocate of freedom. That, that's a foundation for me. And I view politics as a branch of philosophy, not separate from philosophy. To me, I see politics as the practical application of philosophy 
into the physical world and how we deal with each other. What's scary, of course, is that what I see in politics is often not representative of the style of the branch of philosophy that I call morality or epistemology, that I think it's scary sometimes what we see in politics today at the top of the iceberg that might represent a problem with the deeper underlying levels of the iceberg, which I think is what we're talking about a little bit more with the concept of philosophy separate from politics. Would you agree with that? The only thing that I would maybe put up a little opposition to, so like I said, I'm an American lawyer, right? And I come at this from, and I'm pretty apolitical, so I don't really have a stake in this. And I moved to China and live there because I'm really interested in Chinese philosophy. So I don't have a strong stake. The only thing I would, I guess, say I feel some concern about is the common thing I hear, which is in America, people say something like, I choose freedom, which kind of is a almost, I want to say, patriotic sentiment rather than a realistic sentiment. Not to say people aren't free here, but not to say people aren't free in China. There's this conception that because the government is ruled in a certain structural bureaucratic fashion, as opposed to a different structure that we have in America, that one provides freedom and one doesn't. And having lived there so long, I really don't think that's true. And having studied a lot about jurisprudence and American law and understanding how the system of the government works in America, and I don't mean sort of like the corruption or the rampant insider trading by Congress, which is in no way freedom. If we could vote against that, we all would. None of us think our Congress people should be engaged in insider trading, but they are. And there's nothing we can do about it. And in that sense, we are not free. We are constrained by the reality of our situation, which is a lot of stuff goes on in the government that we don't have any power over. We have to accept it. We can stand out and protest. And that is absolutely true. We can. And in China, protests do happen but they're much more regulated. I will say it's not that everybody's jailed if they protest, but definitely you need permits that are more difficult to get than in America. So, but can we change things? It reminds me a little of Machiavelli and just the idea that there's this conception that Machiavelli wrote this book, The Prince, to give to the Medicis saying, this is how you should govern, where there's other viewpoints. So recently I spent a while reading this guy, Antonio Gramsci, He wrote notes from the prison, something like that. He was the head of the Italian Communist Party right when Mussolini took over. He was jailed for his entire life. And his idea was that Machiavelli actually wrote this book tongue in cheek. The Medicis didn't need to know that. Of course, they know how to rule with an iron fist. That's exactly what they've been doing. It's almost an insult to try to tell them how to rule. It's like me writing a book for the Republican Party, telling them that they should not let people vote if they want to stay in power. They know. I don't need to write that book. But what if the average person didn't know how the government was working? And so Machiavelli wrote a book for the average people, but of course he could never publish that. And so instead he marketed it as a book for the Medicis, which it wasn't. It was a book for every man to understand what's going on in your government. And I think that's interesting because it's kind of like today. I think a lot of people don't know what's going on and they use things like freedom as sort of a buzzword for this is what I want to believe And this is what I've been told to believe about the country where I live. I 100% agree with that. Here's an interesting example to really illustrate for people that are listening here. Holding up my coffee mug here. It's my favorite coffee mug. It's giant. It's huge. It's got New York on it. I like it. And I love this coffee mug. Now, I also love my family. 
So I've used the word love now in two absolutely different contexts. How can I use the same word to describe my feelings towards my family versus the feelings that I have towards my coffee? Now, some days in the morning, I really do love my coffee as much as my family on bad days. But the point is here is that there's a word definition that is absolutely not clear, but it's being used to describe two different things. Now, when I say freedom, I say freedom after a deep introspection, study, and thought. But when other people say freedom, let's just say, for example, let's say there's an extremist somewhere that says, I want the freedom to go rob a store. I should have that freedom. Well, that's not freedom. That's anti-freedom. You can't have freedom that robs someone else of their freedom. But a lot of people haven't done the work to think about and understand what freedom actually is. And this relates to the concept of a city and space that we're talking about here in that what is a city and what defines a city and what defined a city in the past? Is that different? And if it is different, what's going to define a city moving forward? And the same thing with space. And I tie this in as a segue. And if you have thoughts on this, interrupt me and cut me off. I'm kind of assuming that we're on the same wavelength here. Is that fair to say, by the way, are we in the same wavelength oh, so far? Oh, absolutely. Okay, yeah. cool. And I think when we talk about cities and we get more into the Web3 idea, or certainly the CityDAO idea. So my concept of a city is, it's not the early Western concept, which is a fortified area that can be protected from invaders. And then you get into a lot of discussion of how are roads developed and streets developed. Traditionally, they were Roman and they were developed to allow for the maximization of capitalist economy, to allow for stores and people walking, and at the same point to defend the city. So that if there were invaders, the government forces could get to where they needed to get on the city wall in time. That concept, what typifies a city and the urbanization and the packing people together, that doesn't need to be what we think of as a city. To me, a city, it can be viewed by its population, where the goal of the governance of a city would be to satisfy its population, which is sort of the viewpoint of, as far as I understand it, Michel Foucault, who talks a lot about governmentality and the idea of a population being the point of a city. So if for city Dow we wanted to develop a city, I've never thought of that as just city Dow buying a plot of land, putting up a bunch of buildings, making roads, and saying this is city Dow city number one. Because to me, that's still such a blank canvas. There's no artistry to that. There's no culture to that. There's no unifying principle. It's just people in a space. But there's definitely cultures to different cities and cultures to different areas of cities. And I think that's how we can define ourselves. One thing I'd mentioned in the council is the idea of a city being, what if we had a shared workspace? Let's say we're in Boston. We have a shared workspace on one side of the city. We have a part of a coffee shop on Tuesday afternoons somewhere else in the city. We have a restaurant somewhere else that's open from seven to nine just for city Dow. We have all these locations that are available. And then we also, of course, have metaversal locations. And all of these together might be for people who strongly believe in whatever, whether they believe in exploration of freedom and a philosophical idea, whether they're people who are gamers and want to get together and play games, whatever it is people want to do, that can be defined as a city, especially if we create a sub-DAO for them. So we've been talking a lot about the DAO, sub-DAOs, guilds, and then how each organization would manage its own treasury, its own budget, become profitable, become self-sustaining, and use their money for bounties so that they're constantly trying to improve their own citizens to kind of develop these mini cities so that we're not trying to just build one decentralized on-chain city, since those are kind of buzzwords too. 
It is. It's really interesting. Let me frame this one question I have for you that I don't have an answer to this question. So it's a, it is an honest question. So if we look at in the Western world sense of a city, let's say Europeans come over, conquer North America, which is anti-freedom, by the way, just throwing it out there, but it did happen and take over all this land and then put ads out to Europeans and say, look, we'll give you whatever it was. We'll give you your plot of a thousand acres for free. All you have to do is move here and work the land. And next thing you know, there's a bunch of people that move here. There's boundaries, there's physical barriers, all this stuff. And that's how essentially physical land was divvied up hundreds of years ago. Radio waves come out when we discover that we can communicate to each other on different frequencies. Well, that all of a sudden became a different landscape, for lack of a better word, to be regulated. And then it became, okay, well, certain people got rights to this frequency and certain people got rights to that frequency. And then airplanes and and flight schedules came into play. Okay, well, this is how we're going to regulate physical airspace and who can fly here and how and why and when you can't and how to do the reporting for that. And now we go into this metaverse. And how does the metaverse end up being structured and factor into the city? And so my question for you, so I sold my company and my old house and my old car and all that stuff in 2018 and let go of all that and became a digital nomad and worked in Greece and Thailand, Japan and in California, Montreal, back in Canada. And then I have a company that's uh, incorporated in Delaware for investor relations reasons. I meet my new friends on Discord that come from regions that I don't even know where they come from, actually. So I interact in Discord and meet people there. I physically have my butt planted in Calgary, Alberta, but my company and all of my work takes place in Delaware and abroad. My employees are from overseas and I travel around wherever I happen to be. So what city do I actually live in? And I don't have an answer to that. I never, I never really questioned that I either. I think another... And I'm sorry to cut you off, but I think an important question there is also to where are you patriotic? And what does that mean? Not just where do you live, Mm -hmm. where do you identify with? Because you could be living in Japan, working with a Thai group, and they're paying your company based out of Delaware, but you would say, go Canada, I support Canada. And it's like, at some point, somebody who didn't know you well, but knew the details of your life would be like, in what way do you identify? Why would you show some sort of, you know, if somebody in a bar was bad mouthing Canada, would that upset you? Would you get into a fight with them, even though you live in Japan and work with Thai investors in a Delaware company, but you happen to be physically born in Canada? Yeah. It was where you were born. It was where you grew up. Yeah. Because if we talk about the Montreal Canadiens hockey team, I'll say go Canada all day long. If we talk about treatment of nature, I'll say go Japan all day long. If we talk about the spirit of individualism, I might say go America all day long. And fill in the blank for different geographical locations all across the world. I might feel patriotic in a sense towards different subjects in different regions. And how do we represent that? And some of this ties into the concept of DAO voting and the borderless nature of decentralization. And I'm going to segue us in here. You know, I saw this little video of a Russian soldier who had he'd surrendered and he was being given a, a cup of tea and some food by Ukrainians, and he was given a phone to talk to his mom in Russia, and he's just crying, right? He's just crying. And I look at this guy, and I think, there's no way he would have voted to go to war. He didn't want to do this. He had to. And if he didn't, he would have been punished as a traitor, probably, and, and maybe even executed in his family, too. If decisions like this were decentralized, what would have happened? And you know, I had this interesting chat with Eric Gavin in Miami, the executive director of Miami Coin, and the concept of maybe bringing Miami Coin into a DAO and letting citizens actually vote. And so I don't, I don't know what a city looks like in this context moving forward. And I would love to find out it's a hot subject growing inside CityDAO. How do you think this is going to play out with you as a council member, with this subject growing, with a lot of big decisions being made with CityDAO right now? How do you sort of see and what do you maybe predict might be happening in the next six months with CityDAO in this context? 
So right now in City Dow, I'm on the oversight committee of the Constitution. So it's just me and Lyons who are kind of on the oversight committee. We're going to every meeting that we can. I did a lot of work writing the governance section, the rules of coordination section, and the tactical meeting section. And then the other two sections of the Constitution are distributed authority, which mostly deals with budgeting and treasuries and multi-sig wallets and the financial stuff. And then with organizational structure, and I worked with them a lot too. So my overall philosophy, kind of on what you're saying, has been to keep this more similar to, if you look at the American Constitution, it is 10 pages long. That's it. And if you look at, from a legal perspective, let's say you're in Connecticut or something, New York, one state, you look at just the landlord-tenant law, it's probably six books long of 900 pages a book. And it's gotten insane. I mean, it's just absurd. This is the law has become so circular that you have to know not only so much legalese, but you have to wade through so many regulations that were written, many of them by non-lawyers. So they're not even super clear. They contradict each other. They don't make sense in places. They're very hard to understand. I'm sure Max Real Estate can talk a lot about this with deeds and his work with real estate and land law, that some of the rules are just, they're almost impossible to follow. But the American Constitution is very nicely done. And so that's what I think we're trying to do with something like voting, which is so critical. Right now, we've created two types of voting. There's the CIP, which is the City Dow Improvement Proposal, and that any citizen can propose anything. It goes to the forum where for at least one week, people will discuss it. But there's no way once it's being discussed, this isn't a roadblock to it becoming a vote. This is just a discussion. So any citizen can propose any vote that will go to a snapshot. At that point, you do need a quorum. So let's say we have 10,000 members in City Dow, the quorum would be 250. It used to be 100, we've raised it. So as long as 250 people vote, then the vote is legitimate. And then you need, for most votes, a simple majority, 51% of the vote. Now, what if you got a bunch of people to support you in a vote that this is what America does. This is like gerrymandering. So what if you got 250 people to support you in a vote in America, for example, that anybody should be able to own submachine guns ostensibly for hunting, which require no hunting skill whatsoever, but you get people to back you. What do we do in City Dow if somebody pushes through a vote? For example, we are going to spend $800,000 to buy whatever. Then we have an objection an objection method where as long as one more than the number of people voting object, this is now considered stopped and the vote can be objected to. And that we're still working out some of the details of that, but the big key to governance in CityDAO is going to be how do people propose a vote? How does the vote happen? And then how do people object to the vote? Those are the three key things. Then we're going to have something called the GIP, which is a guild improvement proposal. And that is the same idea. It's a vote, but it's within a guild. So quorum would be two thirds of the guild. And then it's a simple majority to pass a vote within a guild. Now, what we're working on, which is more of a technological thing, is right now on Snapshot, if you propose a vote, there's only yes, no, and however many options you list. But what is being built for CityDAO is sort of a bespoke mechanism where we would have for a guild proposal, it would be like, yes, no objection, something like that, a third choice so that you could vote on a guild proposal or you could object to a guild proposal. I feel like I'm not explaining this super clearly. So I'm going to go back to the guild. And since I'm not clear in my own head, 
how exactly to explain this that tells me what I need to clarify with the guild and we're meeting later today. But this is kind of the crux. Almost everything else in the constitution has been laid down. We have been meeting, God, I've had so many days that have four or five hours of meetings a day. And this is all volunteer, but you know, there's so many people who are coming out to support this idea of how do we make a city? And the key idea of how do we make a city is really, how do we prevent, I mean, look, I, you know, where I live right now, I recently met a friend and she told me that she works for an organization where the mayor chose a group of people and that group of people oversee a certain treasury. I don't think anybody voted for this. This is one individual who apparently has a tremendous amount of power who can collect a treasury of millions of dollars, who can choose people to hire. There's no electoral process for any of this. Now, maybe they do the best work in the world. I don't know. But it's not exactly what I'd be looking for. When I think of freedom, I think of each person's vote being very meaningful, which is why I struggle with the American idea of freedom, where the value of one person's vote when you're in a gerrymandered community, where your community could be 65% Democrat, and, and yet it's going to vote Republican, and you have no control over that whatsoever. How valuable is your vote? If you can't actually do anything about the gerrymandering, and you can't get the person in charge to listen to anybody's viewpoints, but his own or the viewpoints of those who fund him or her, but probably him. So I think there are challenges to voting, and I think voting is everything. Making sure people understand and really feel like everybody can make a proposal. Everybody can object to a proposal. If you get enough people on your side for whatever reason, then it can be passed. And there's no core team. There's no group that has any sort of oligarchic power, which is what we have in America. We have a core team that has an incredible amount of power. If America was a DAO, it would not be decentralized and it would not be an effective DAO. This is not a DAO. It's a hegemony. So if we're trying to make things like a DAO, we have to undo a lot of the American ideals of having this core power team at the top that can pretty much do whatever they want. And we're talking about, first of all, the separation from state and economics, and then the redefining of what those powers might be and redefining of who is and what can they do. I like your wording. It's an undoing and a redefining, which is kind of the subject of a lot of things that we've been talking about here today. And, and we're pioneers and you're spearheading and contributing as a volunteer in the pioneer experimentation realm more than most other people are. And this isn't a show and this isn't a subject of, hey, look, this is how we decentralized the city 10 years ago and all the lessons we learned. This is, as you said, you have a meeting today to help clarify some things that you're still working out in your own mind. And that's what's really fascinating to me about and all this. If I can add one thing to that, and I think this may be the most important thing I want to say about that. Look, I'm very fortunate to be on this committee and I'm, I'm really lucky. Granted, I had to run and make a proposal and do debates and, you know, I wasn't chosen. But the thing that's most important to me is that my viewpoints on politics, on philosophies, on countries, they have no relationship to my administration, where what I try to do in city council is make sure everybody has their turn to speak and we find out what the majority feeling is. And then I do my best with everybody else to write that into very understandable, clear language. We are not trying to exclude anybody just because you don't have a master's in ontological epistemology doesn't mean you should not be able to read this document. This is a document for everybody that has nothing to do with David lived in China or David likes China. I mean, there's so many people here I defer to have so much more experience than me 
in their related fields, whether it's there are people here who lobby, who work in D.C., and they know a lot more about politics than I do. And there are people who work with other DAOs doing financial and budgetary stuff. There are people who work in the entertainment field. There are so many talented people. So I think of my job as sort of a someone who can just collect this information, make sure it's presented in a clear way so that everybody can discuss it, and then help to rewrite it in a clear way without getting involved with whatever I may or may not believe about anything. I want to talk about this China thing for a second and how that started. I mean, what what did you study in school way back then? And I guess if I understand correctly, you're an American lawyer, but that maybe wasn't the case while you were in China. I think you were teaching out there in the realm of performing arts. So maybe if you can tell us just about your background a little bit, I'm really curious. Sure. So briefly, when I was around 15, I read a translation of the Tao Te Ching. And at around 15 or 16, I had read a lot of other, you know, I've read the Bible or the Torah or the Bhagavad Gita or the Mahabharata or things that I was trying to understand what the hell's going on here. Why am I here? And what really spoke to me was the Tao Te Ching. It's very short. It's 5,000 characters long. It's the second most translated book in the world after the Bible. It engaged me. And so my high school started offering Chinese as an experimental program. I took that when I was like 16 and 17. I knew I was going to major in Chinese in college and I did. Then I lived abroad for a year, just worked on Chinese, and I did some creative writing. Then I came back to America, and I went to law school at the University of Hawaii because they have a good program in Asian law. So I specialize in Chinese law also. And then I came to New York. I got licensed. I took the bar. I started practicing in New York, and I was so disappointed. Look, court is beautiful. If you've ever been to court and you weren't being sued, it's a beautiful building. It's really pretty. And the pomp and the circumstance and everybody's dressed up. And if it pleased the court, I mean, it's so historical and cool. But the fact is, the people who were crushing it in the law, it was insurance companies. It was medical malpractice being hired by doctors. I was offered a position on the Enron team, which I turned down, but I could barely afford to live. I'd worked for legal aid after law school, and I really liked doing that. But I wasn't doing law. I was the head of public relations in Hawaii for all the islands. So I go from island to island, I'd help create all these conferences to make sure poor people knew about legal aid. When I was in Manhattan trying to be a lawyer, I just did not enjoy who I was being asked to represent. So I moved back to China. I taught law in China, or I still do. So for 15 years, I've been a professor of law. For the first six years, I was teaching American and British common law to Chinese students who were going to go abroad to America. And most of them were affluent because they're going to go to America. And then at night, I was always teaching theater just for fun. Nobody ever taught me. I just decided I wanted to do it. And I opened a theater group and I started teaching in Chinese. My theater group ended up doing very well. So what I was doing is I was teaching improvisation, but I was using Taoist theories, which gets really into the idea of space. If you have two people on a stage and they start performing, to me, that's space. That's a creation of space. If I say there's a door here and you say there's a window there and I say, well, outside the window, there are mountains. And you say, yeah, and the, the mountains, we're creating space. We're delineating it. That's all we're doing. And I have a strong belief in sort of the Taoist fashion that space is very interactive. And this is also a Western idea held by a philosopher named Deleuze, Gilles Deleuze, who believes that space is interactive and folds and refolds and unfolds and can be territorialized and deterritorialized. A lot of stuff that's happening in the metaverse. So anyway, my theater group started doing very well. I won a big reality TV show looking for the next sort of David Letterman is what they were really looking for. Can we get a link, by the way? Can we put that in the show notes? Is there a link we can check that out? 
I can give you, I mean, they broke it into sections, but yes, I can give you the links to some of those if you want to see them. And it's, it's all me in Chinese, but sure. And for some reason, they kept painting really dark eyebrows on me. So it looks very <laughs> Groucho Marx. It's pretty funny. So anyway, I won that. At the same point, some of my actors got picked up for the Chinese actors, two actresses. They got picked up by sort of the Chinese version of Saturday Night Live. And they have now gotten extremely famous. I mean, they're very, very famous, very wealthy in China. And so I was offered a position at a Chinese television station on their content creation team. So I was the only foreigner. I mean, for most of my life in China, I was the only foreigner in big theaters full of Chinese people. I was always the only foreigner. I was the one who ran this group. At some point, I was the creative director of the largest improv group in China in Chinese and in English, two different groups. And then I was helping to run the Shanghai Improv Week, but everything was all Chinese. And so I was working at this Chinese TV station, and then I started teaching theater at the Shanghai Theater Academy, which is the number two school in the country. Very hard to get in, and I was teaching Chinese improv in Chinese to them, and that was really fantastic. After a while, though, I mean, I'm not a salesperson, and I, I'm not good at selling myself, and I don't like it. I love being a teacher. That's what I love doing. I love working with groups and teams. I love thinking and writing and guiding people. That's really what I love doing. And so I was offered a position teaching law full-time at an international university where 100% of the students are international. They're not Chinese. This is a big Chinese university, but it's their international department. And I've been teaching there for six years now. I still teach theater at night, but what I love most about this university is if I have 30 kids in a class, there's 25 countries. Most of the kids are from Africa or the Middle East or South America, Central America. I have students from the West, Western Europe, and from America and Canada and everything. But the lion's share of students are from fairly poor places. And I really love teaching them law because everybody comes at it from such a different vantage point. There's so many people who are from Middle Eastern cultures under Sharia law or from countries in Africa that use civil law or French law or Napoleonic law. And being able to teach them common law has been, for me, really exciting, that I do love the law. And I love British common law. And I think American law, there's some rules that are just so beautiful. I'll tell you one of my favorite legal rules. This has nothing to do with the metaverse. There's this rule that it's called dying breath or dying declaration. And the idea is, let's say you hit me with your car, and I go to the police and say, meme brains did it. Well, that's not evidence. That's just me saying it. That's circumstantial, right? They don't know that you did it. But if you hit me with your car and I'm about to die, and with my last breath, I tell the police that Meme Brains did it, that now has become evidence. Because no one, here's the American or the British common law rule, no one lies when they see the face of God. It's not possible for a human to die with a lie on their lips. Now, whether or not you believe that, that is romantic as hell. You know, that's cool. So British common law is full of really pithy, beautiful rules, many of which come from canonical law. So they're biblical in nature. So I love the law, but I still love Chinese philosophy. So currently I'm finishing a master's thesis. I'm one month away from finishing it here in America. And my topic is using Taoism as a metaphysical sort of construct to discuss the metaverse. Because right now, if somebody says, what is the metaverse? There's no good answer. It's a collection of core technologies. It's community, it's hardware, it's software, it's the blockchain and distributed ledger technology, it's immutability, it's all these different things, but it's not just video games or just anything. 
But what it is also is it's a new way of looking at space. With city DAO, it's a very new way of conceiving of what a city is or what space is. What does it mean? So you'd mentioned earlier this idea of education, which I'm really interested in, how city DAO could create like a city DAO university. And I've been talking with some people about that. One of the things it requires is for us to really think, what is a university? Is it a bunch of students who go to the same classroom every day with the same professor who stands there, which right now is exactly what university is both on and offline. During the pandemic, I've been teaching my law courses online this whole time. It's still a one person in front of the classroom. It doesn't matter that the classroom is on a screen. It's still the same thing. Nothing's changed. And that's the problem because there's no socializing. So let's say you go to university and you're kind of the the kid who's not, who just hasn't made a bunch of friends in this class. Well, when the class ends, everybody files out and they go do whatever with whoever, and you leave the classroom too. And that's all that's happening now. It's the same thing. But with the metaverse, with Web3, we can do so much more with breakout groups, with getting people, you could have meetups in different locations throughout the metaverse. You could have small group meetups with a mentor. I'm a strong believer in mentors and apprenticeships, and there shouldn't just be one professor and a hundred students. I don't think that makes sense anymore. This isn't Athens. We can do better than that. You could have meetup places around the city where you have somebody who guides you through a certain section of the syllabus. And if two students meet, if five students meet, it's a way for people to socialize, almost a forced socialization where people get to know each other. And being in academia, both as a professor and a student, I see that a lot of students can sort of glide through. They can slip through the cracks. They can just write the final paper, the midterm, and they didn't really learn anything and nobody really noticed. And that's not great. And it doesn't get fixed by being more strict. It doesn't get fixed by the teacher demanding that you turn in a writing assignment every week because what's missing is motivation. And I see this a lot in education and in city DAO discussions. Another course that I teach is organizational behavior, which is a kind of sociology. And I think we need to be really clear on the difference between motivation and incentivization. Incentivization, people use that as a really nice word to mean bribes. When they say, oh, we need to incentivize people to come to this meeting. Let's give them pizza. It's a bribe. And it's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's definitely not synonymous with motivation. Why don't people vote? That's going to be the key issue in City Dow is not just anybody can make a vote. How do you get people to vote? How do you motivate them without incentivizing them? What are we going to give everybody $100 to vote? It undermines the whole point of voting. People need to want to vote. There needs to be a reason, a personal reason. I think ethics comes into it. Morality comes into it. But you can't force ethics on people. And so I think there's a lot that we can do creating these smaller cities. I think of a university as having these smaller classes. So one of the great things of CityDAO or about CityDAO is that we are working within the confines of the law. I've seen a lot of other organizations try to either circumvent the law or to say, well, you know, it's a gray area. We're just going to try this and see if the government says anything. And that's fine. But that's not what we're doing at CityDAO. We're not hiding in the corner to see if the government catches us. We're contacting the government to make sure everything's above board to work with them so that this can stand on really strong structural foundations. And in the same way, I believe that CityDAO University needs accreditation. I've seen so many online groups that want to have education in Web3, and they just think, well, you know, we're never going to get accreditation. Only a real university has that. So we'll just teach courses. 
and we'll redesign them and there'll be different motivations and we'll market this to employers. And so it'll be employment-based education. All of that stuff is great, but I want to operate within the confines of the law. I would love a city Dow university to be able to offer a history degree, an anthropology degree, something that is legitimate and gets a bachelor's. And I think that's how we disrupt is by working within the law, working with the lawmakers. It's fascinating to hear you say all this stuff. And it gives me, and I hope everyone listening too gets a, a greater context. And it's funny, my inkling is to say leadership, but that's not what this is. This is the context of the community, the diversity of the community, the skills and contributions in a volunteer basis of the community here at City Dallas. Anyone listening here, I hope you're getting a good context of what we're about and the kind of conversations that happen on a regular basis. And again, I'm encouraging everyone listening, make sure you join the Discord, be a part of those chats. And for me, I'm, I'm just a citizen as well. I'm just a person contributing my own set of skills in my own way in a little gap that I saw that existed by creating, running, hosting, organizing, and frankly, for paying for this show. That's what I do right now. And part of the initiative for Concept here is to reach out and have these conversations both with citizens here, with other DAOs abroad, like Dow Punks and Cabin Dow coming up, with politicians like Eric Gavin from Miami, with Senator Rothfuss from Wyoming coming up soon, and to go potentially on a mission here to have a series which reaches out to every, let's say, Mary Oil's office in every major city of North America, maybe beyond as well. When we get to China, I might have to ask for your help, David, because I want to understand what's going on. But the idea with the show potentially here is to move into a direction of having conversations with politicians and other interesting thought leaders and people of, of importance and significance here in this world abroad continuously and stir up these conversations. I think the concept of a university is fascinating. And this would be a source of potentially information and education and onboarding of people from the regular world into the concept of, well, it's hard to define what we're doing. We're still defining what we're doing, which is fascinating too. I have one little personal question that I'm curious about here, just as we wrap up. When you tell me about your background in law and your passion for it, and you're a well-spoken guy, and you have this deep understanding on various aspects of philosophy, and you've read so much and studied so much. And then on the other side, you get this performing artist style getting up in the camera and doing creative content and stuff. And for me, I was obviously in construction for a long time in the corporate side of construction, also swinging the hammer in construction for many, many years. And one of my big passions is competitive salsa dancing. And uh, I did them at the same time. I would get off the roof, go clean up, put band-aids on the cuts and go to salsa practice and practice my bluebird flip or my entrance or how to point the toe properly. And I loved it. It was this contrast. I'm just curious. What does that diversity sort of mean? How do you personally, Dave, bridge that gap? How do you explain interest in deep law and performing arts? I guess I explain it from, and people have asked me this before, right? Because they definitely seem to be so different. I think there are two elements. One is I'm very interested in ideas related to harmony and group harmony. That is the point of law for me. The point of law is we as humans can envision what a better world looks like, what heaven would be like. And as I think it was Madison said in the Federalist Papers, if men were angels, we wouldn't need law. We can envision what it's like. We just don't do it. And so we write it down. All we're doing is constructing the best possible world we can imagine. And I love the idea of group harmony. And so for me, there's a group harmony in the law and there's a group harmony in theater where you're with a group of people. And especially with improvisation, it's like in basketball, they call it court sense. That idea that all of a sudden you don't even need to look around. You know where everybody on your team is. You know who's open, you know where they are, you know where they're going. 
and all of you have it, if you all have it simultaneously, you can watch the next few moves play out and everybody on the team is pretty much on the same page. And it's beautiful. And I think people get that. I would assume you would at a competitive level that you would get that with your partner where without having to discuss it, the subtleties of body movement, you would both know exactly what the next moves are. And at that point, you can just relax because it's already done. It's happening. It's glorious. You're with another person doing the same thing at the same time without needing to discuss it. And that gets to the sort of academic side of this, which is there's a guy, I think it was Hungarian, named Mihaly Sikzet Mihaly, and he proposed the theory of flow and group flow. And what he was studying originally is painters and how they could paint for hours and hours and hours and forget whether or not they'd eaten dinner. Or then he started talking to competitive marathon runners, rock climbers, dancers, just all kinds of people who were super engaged in their craft. And there were these commonalities, things like a loss of temporal sense that you just don't know how long you've been dancing for. You say that was a fun 15 minutes and somebody says that was 45 minutes and you didn't know. That happens when we enter the stage of group flow. It also can happen in great conversations with people where you lose track of time, you lose the egoic sense. You're no longer thinking about yourself. You're just thinking about the group or thinking about nothing. You're just here in the moment, being present, watching and participating in life. And so I got that from theater. I got that flow. And it sounds like you got it from competitive dance. And that's fantastic. Anybody who's able to access flow, whether they get it from going to the gym and running, having great conversations with friends, doing something artistic, And that's also goes back to sort of the Chinese philosophical side, the idea of being rooted in the present moment and losing our sense of self, just really detaching from the idea of yesterday or tomorrow and really being here with another human being in the moment. What I hope City Dao exists to do is I think it's such a commonality that we say it's too bad when we were young and we were kids in school, they didn't teach, finish that sentence, meditation, yoga, self-wellness, self-efficacy how to believe that you are good enough. Any of the things that it goes without saying we should be teaching kids instead of teaching them whatever craziness we're teaching them. This is really important stuff. And I think with CityDAO, we have a chance to not just remake how voting is done. That's one core element, but I am really focused on onboarding and like I said, mentorship, apprenticeship. The idea that anybody from around the world could join our Discord choose a guild they're interested in. So I just recently released the legal guild proposal. And a big part of that, there's a bunch of attorneys and there's great things we can do and we can release position papers. I love the idea of what you're doing with all the mayor's offices, but also that somebody from Turkmenistan could join our Discord, be interested in Dow Law, get onboarded, get a mentor, learn about it, start to collect bounties, which may be actually fairly valuable in terms of different economies collect $100 bounties for this or that, and then be able to spin this off into the whatever country legal guild. I mean, that's our goal is not to have the American CityDAO legal guild. CityDAO isn't necessarily American. It's CityDAO. And so there's been propositions. What if a group in China wanted to buy a building the same way that we at CityDAO would and have this kind of algorithmic voting? And why couldn't they make a sub guild, a Chinese legal guild, where what we're doing is helping to provide advice for people around the world who want to take advantage of more egalitarian control and governance structures. This is a fascinating discussion. And speaking of flow state, 
I could probably keep going longer than we have time for today. I actually really hope that we do another chat. We should really talk a little bit offline and narrow down a couple interesting subjects that maybe I can focus on in the show. Maybe you come back or maybe you know someone that would come on and speak to that a little bit. But for me personally, this has been a really engaging chat and I really could go on almost without end ongoing. Before we wrap up though, I wondered if you had anything, I'll give you the speaking stick here. If there's anything that's on your mind here that you feel like sharing with anyone listening on any subject uh, at all. Wow, that's pretty open. So I'm in other Discord groups. The city now is by far my main focus, but I do pay attention to other Discord groups and Telegram groups. It's amazing how fast one thing becomes popular and the other thing falls by the wayside. I'd say the biggest takeaway that I get from working with all of these talented people on CityDAO is that it's really important that an issue that we're working on be brought to completion with single-minded purpose. There are a lot of issues going on in the world right now, right? It goes without saying there's war going on in the world right now. And there's all kinds of political turmoil. I experience inflation. I don't know if anybody else feels it. I sure do. There's a lot going on in the world right now. And ultimately, what I do believe is that it's important everybody find their own kind of faith that things are going to be okay as long as we're doing the next right thing. I mean, that's sort of the Taoist or Chan Buddhist point of view is that everything's going to be okay. China takes a very long-term view of things. It's been around 5,000 years. Taoism would say that the universe has always been here. So everything's circular and cyclical and spiral, but nothing is so important that we should let it deter us from appreciating the fact that right now, wherever we are, we're alive and life by its very nature is a very interesting trip. It's fragile. It's delicate. It's meant to be lived. It's meant to be shared. It has all kinds of conflict and resolution, and that's all part of it. And it reminds me, and this will be the last thing I'll say, at the reality TV show I was on, so I won it, but the person who ended up getting second place was this guy who'd never been on TV before, who was one of the sweetest guys I'd ever met. And he was so scared and he almost quit. We were backstage right before the finale. He was about to leave. He was just so, he was you know, shaking and everything. And I remember telling him, this feeling you have, as tortured as it feels, as confused as it feels, it's really to be cherished. I mean, you're not going to feel this again. Each of these feelings, they only come once. They seem like they come again and again, but they're very different. And so all the, the struggles of CityDAO and the tension and the money and is it a good investment? You know, when Moon, when Airdrop, when POAP, when like it's all, it's when all just part zero. of it. <laughs> yeah, seriously, when's Parcel Zero? When's Parcel One? When can I move in? <laughs> My bags are packed. It's like all of that's the future. And I just hope with everybody in CityDAO that we're kind of focused together on the present. Well, I, for one, am very grateful to have both the combination of your brain and your intentions here with the project. Uh, glad to have you on the CityDAO Council. I think that I probably speak for the vast majority, if not everyone, that we're glad that you're doing what you're doing and appreciate your volunteer effort. And I really look forward to you know, chatting with you more on Discord and maybe having you back on the show again. There's a lot to do, and we're really just at the early, early stage beginnings here. So with that in mind, we're going to wrap up and Everyone will see you on the Discord. There's going to be show notes to this episode with a detail so you can skim through and, and get a, a recap and also reference URLs. We'll put some links on there that are relevant to what we're talking about today. Other than that, you know, we'll see Well, the next episode's coming out in a few days and we will see you on Discord. So everyone listening here, we hope you make it a great day. We'll see you 
on the chat and uh, let's do this together. Bye for now. 